My name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. Gateway, we have two congregations in the city, one that meets here, one that meets in South Osborne. And Ron, our senior pastor, is out in uh, the West Coast uh, in the middle of snowstorms. Um, so he's out there. He'll be back tomorrow. But he's uh, just serving out there, uh, ministering to some of the churches. We have been going through a series called What on Earth Am I Here For? We started it last week, so if you've just arrived with us or you're not aware that we're going through this, you can still hop on board and find out what's going on. If you're not part of a small group, the best way to activate and come alongside what we're doing during this course of uh, these next few weeks is to be in a small group. And we have options for you, if you're not in a small group, um, that you can join even this morning. So on the back table there, where it says, what on earth am I here for on the bleachers? There are a number of small groups that have started. We ended up starting nine new small groups um, during the course of this. So we're pretty excited about that. Some of them still have space. And so if you are from different areas of the city, you can go and see where the space is. You can sign up and uh, become part of things. We'll make sure you get a booklet and we get you caught up. Last week, we were talking about uh, why God has put us on this planet, that we all have a call from God. And we learned a Bible memory verse. It's a good thing to learn Bible memory verses and stick them in our memory banks. The Holy Spirit brings them back when we need them. And we learned a Bible memory verse last week that had to do with our call and the call on our lives. Can anybody remember what the Bible memory verse is? Galatians 1.15. That's good. What does Galatians 1.15 say? But even before I was born, God chose me, called me by his marvelous grace. What a wonderful verse that is. If it's your first Sunday here, you might not even know that. You might have been thinking to yourself, I don't know why I'm here. You might have thought you knew and then things changed in your life and now you don't know anymore. Well, God says in his word that even before you were born, God chose you and called you by his marvelous grace. God has a call for your life, which he was thinking of before you were even born. That's wonderful. And so part of what we want to do over these next 40 days is to come to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us, to ask God to help us. What is that call on our lives? And remember, last week we talked about picking up the phone. That's what this 40 days is. God is calling us. The phone is ringing. We want to pick up the phone and ask the Lord what it is that he has for us to do over this next season of our life. And today we're going to talk about the first and greatest call on all of our lives. And that is the call to love. To love. Before God does anything else, he loves. While he does whatever he does, he's loving. The end of everything that God does is love because God is love and everything that he does flows from that place of who he is. And our first call in life is to receive God's love. That's the first thing. And then having received that, to then respond to the love of God and to love him back in something the Bible calls worship. We're going to talk about worship this morning. Worshippers wanted the call to love. What is worship? That word, the English word, obviously is a mix of two words, worth and ship. Worth ship. It's putting worth and value on something with your time, 
with your resources, with your thoughts, with your heart, saying, I think that this is worthy of my, uh, my life and my uh, time, my intentions and my affections. And I'm going to put worth on it and I'm going to then worship it by the way that I live. Today you're going to see humans at worship if you happen to turn on your televisions this evening because more than likely you will come across the, the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Super Bowl. One million people have shown up in Houston this week to spend time celebrating the 10 days leading up to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl itself. Over 100 million people are going to be tuned in to the television live broadcast this evening. 100 million people. Imagine if someone was preaching the gospel instead. Much better. Halftime show. You know, they should have done that. They should have, they should have had Billy Graham on as the halftime show. While we've still got him with us. Give him 20 minutes of the halftime show to share the... Oh, that'd be good. I'm going to write a letter. Hey, maybe next year. Got to pray that he stays alive until that time. Anyway, uh, all those people coming to watch something and give it their time, their attention, their resources. And for some people, it's a religion. They, if they're a Patriot fan, I used to come to um, Massachusetts when I was 19. My first experience of North America, I worked in camps in Massachusetts for the summer. I did it for three summers. And those people were mad keen Patriots fans. And those were in the days when they won nothing. The Patriots won nothing. Their baseball team won nothing. How things have changed. But in those days, nothing at all. And uh, so they were longing for the days when they were going to, well now they're in heaven, right? In their own version of heaven. Because they've got a, a team that's not just winning, but winning regularly. And they might win again this afternoon. And so some people, this is like a religion for them. They worship this stuff pour their time and energies. By the time today is ended, the entertainment industry, including drinks and everything else, will be $14 billion richer one day. That's a lot of money. Now, if Billy Graham was speaking, they could give all that away to missions. (laughs) One day, maybe. Worship. We all have something in us that want to worship something. We want to find something that we feel is so valuable, so worth it, so capturing and worthy of our attention that it lifts us above the mundane of everything else that happens in our lives into another plane. Suddenly for a moment you're lost and that's what happens to sports fans. Something amazing happens that your team does and in that instant for a short period of time you're elevated. All the cares of the week are forgotten. All your financial cares are forgotten. Everything else is forgotten. And suddenly you're elevated and you're thinking, this is great. If you're a sports fan, you know the feeling doesn't last very long. But anyway, it's an opportunity to get elevated above life, to worship something, to to get a, catch a hold of something. Well, those things come and go in a day. And if you worship the teams, uh, I don't worship teams. But if you follow the teams that I follow, they don't win anything. It's very, it's very sad. Julia says, why don't you follow a team that wins? (laughs) Of course, if you're a hardened sports fan, winning isn't all, is it? It's just everything. (laughs) No, it's not at all. 
Anyway, people give their time and effort and energy away to that. We all want to worship something. We all want to find something that lifts us up and lifts us beyond. And we can say, yeah, that's worth giving my life for. Well, I want to share with you something this morning that is absolutely worth giving your life away for. In fact, the only thing that's worth giving your life away for. You won't find anything else. You can go to all the books in the libraries. You can go to all your self-help groups. You can go to wherever you want. You will find nothing, nowhere on this planet, that is more worthy of your time, of your energy, of your resources. And not only is it something so wonderful for us in our giving away to worship, but there's a return to us in worship, which is beyond anything you'll get from any other worship that you ever do. We're going to talk about this morning, worshiping and loving God together. And we're going to look at a scripture out of John chapter 4. It's an interesting place to find out about worship, but it's one of the places in the Bible where it teaches us more about worship than most other places in the Bible. And it's not a church. It's not a temple. It's not a tabernacle. It's not actually a place of worship at all. It's a well outside of a city. It's the noonday. It's in the heat of the day. Most people don't come out to the well at noonday. They come early in the morning. They come last at night. So nobody's there. At this well, except Jesus, because he's been traveling through with his disciples and they are looking to get to another part of Israel and they're tired. And so they sit Jesus down by the well because Jesus was tired. And they say, you wait here. We're going to go into the town. We're going to come back with food and drink for you. So they got off to the market to buy and Jesus is left. And then out of the town comes a woman. She's coming out in the middle of the day. Probably because she doesn't want to be seen. Probably because she doesn't want to be noticed. Probably because she doesn't want to engage in conversation. And Jesus engages her in conversation by asking her for water. She has a bucket she can put down into the well. He doesn't have a bucket. That much makes sense. But the rest of it doesn't. He's a man. He's asking a woman. He's a Jew. And a Jewish rabbi at that. And he's asking a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they just didn't get on. They had problems about their worship styles and where they worshipped. They had problems about how they lived. The Samaritans felt stepped on, looked down on, despised. The Jews, a lot of them maybe felt that they had got things right. They were part of God's family and they were a step above. And it was just not a good relationship at all. And this woman is shocked. She says, how how is it that you, a Jew, would talk to me, a Samaritan woman? Ask me for a drink. Jesus says something to her quite remarkable. He said, woman, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now she's doubly shocked. It's a Jew rabbi talking to me, a Samaritan, asking me for help. And now he's telling me he can give me water, but he doesn't even have a bucket. We're going to pick up the conversation right there in verse 11 of chapter 4. You can read along with me on the screen. Uh, Follow along if you want to. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. You thirsty this morning? You feel a thirst in your soul. You've come to the right place. You've come to the right person. It's not me. Indeed, the water I give them, Jesus says, will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It was embarrassing for her to come out here. He told her, go call your husband, come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors uh, worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Seems like she's trying to distract Jesus away from the topic of conversation. She doesn't want to talk about her husbands and the man she's now living with. So let's throw a political hot potato in here and talk about Jews and Samaritans and where we all worship. Let's get a fight going. And if we get a fight going, then maybe this distance is going to be restored, which is supposed to be between a man and a woman and a Jew and a Samaritan. And then she won't have to talk about what's really going on in her life anymore. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. He goes with the question. He goes with the distraction because it's not a distraction. He's going to turn it around into something, which is what he really wants to talk to her about. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. I love that. You will worship the Father. You want to know whether you worship here or down, well, what all of it. But time is going to come when you, lady, you are going to worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers. There's lots of worshippers in this world. But what's a true worshipper? The true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Three things I want to share with you this morning out of this passage on the subject of our first and our greatest core. The first is this, Jesus can make a true worshipper out of anyone. Jesus can make a true worshipper out of anyone. I'm fortunate to come from a family of worshippers. My mum's mother, what I called Nana growing up, she was the worship leader and organist in a little Welsh chapel in Wales, because that's where Welsh chapels generally are. And she would sit behind the curtain, there was the pulpit, and then there was the penitent rail, 
where everybody came during the Welsh revival and fell on their knees under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to get their lives right with God. And then um, there was the curtain, and she was behind the curtain on the organ. She was within the veil. And uh, that's where she led worship from. And you wouldn't have known she was there most of the time until it came to Easter Sunday morning. And on Easter Sunday morning, uh, we were often there at Easter for Easter holidays. Mark, my brother, and I would go and spend Easter with them. And almost, I think every Sunday, Easter Sunday, we sang the same hymn. Up from the grave he arose. I don't know if you know that hymn. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph. And on that occasion, you would know Nana was at the organ because the curtain would start flapping. And it would go up and down. She would fly up and down the organ and she would... Give it all she had and play up from the grave uh, he arose. That was my nana. My dad, his father, my grandpa, was the organist and the worship leader in a Wesleyan Methodist chapel in Scotland. And so that's what he did. And he led the worship there. And when he wasn't playing, he loved to sing. I was telling the first service that we had something in England called Songs of Praise. I think you've had something similar here. Uh, over years past but the BBC would on a Sunday night take their cameras and crew and go to a church service and they would film the church service and it would be played out over the television at six o'clock on a Sunday night so wherever you are in Britain you could watch a church service in the evening on Sunday evening and on this one particular Sunday they decided that they were going to, to go to my grandpa's Wesleyan Methodist chapel and often what they would do on those occasions is they'd bring in a professional musician to play and so it sounded good on the television. So my grandpa get, got to sing. And so he positioned himself, knowingly or unknowingly, right in front of the nearest camera, which was one that they kept using. And when my grandpa sang his worship songs, he sang, his jaws were able to make a huge up and down the distance that they could travel was something quite extraordinary and the noise that would come out was um, loud he loved to sing and so when we were watching at home we'd all you know we were thinking we'd see grandpa in the crowd somewhere at the back but no he was right front and center filling the screen with this huge (laughs) we didn't know whether to be embarrassed or proud (laughs) but sometimes people surprise us because we sometimes can fall into the trap of thinking that worship is about the outward appearance how loudly you sing or what what you do that's what makes a a worshiper well singing and dancing and whatever to the that's only one part of worship it's an important part of worship but there are many other ways of showing your worship to god i had another great uncle Uncle Neville, and he bought a a gravel truck. And he spent his life hauling gravel from first thing in the morning to last thing at night. He worked really, really hard, came home exhausted, and then whatever the neighbors needed help or whatever, he'd fix their cars, their motorbikes, he'd do whatever he did to look after them. And in some ways, I should have realized that was his way of worshiping because he did it as to the Lord. Only I didn't know that at the time. I just, to me, he just seemed like a pretty unemotional, sort of steady, bit gruff, northern Englishman. Uh, And I didn't know what was underneath until the funeral. He died last year. I wasn't at the funeral, but I heard all about it. 
because the whole town came out to the funeral. He, everybody just thought the world of him because he looked after them and fixed everything for them. And so the place was packed. And they got to his favorite hymn, which was Fanny Crosby's Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And they got to the end of the hymn. The organist stopped. The congregation stopped. Everything went quiet, except for aunt, my aunt Doris, his wife, and his daughters on the front row. And they struck up the last chorus again, all by themselves. Gradually, people in the congregation that knew it began to join in. Sang it a cappella. Why? Because apparently that's what Uncle Neville did. Every time that song was sung in a chapel, when it got to the end, the organist would want to stop. The leader of the meeting would want to stop. Everybody else would want to stop. But Uncle Neville would not stop. And he would start up that last chorus all by himself if he wanted to. And he would sing it away to the Lord whether people joined in with him or not. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. God bless you, Uncle Neville. Jesus can make a worshiper out of anybody. This lady was not the sort of lady that you would pick to be a worshiper. The first person you'd think who would make someone who would just be able to very quickly and easily give themselves away to Jesus. She'd either been very unlucky in love, having won the hand of five different husbands who either then abandoned her or died. Or else she was the sort of lady that just went from one relationship to the next. It's not clear from the scriptures whether she was a victim of what happened or whether she actually made it happen. Except for the fact it says that she was already with another man that wasn't a husband. So she's at least got some, uh, she's involved in this somewhere. Uh, It's not just that she was a victim. She was making some poor choices in the middle of it all. Whatever it was, she was very broken. She had a boatload of hurt. She had a boatload of pain. And if anybody probably needed to be sat down and somebody help her to unravel her life and make sense of it, before we start talking about worshipping and giving the life away to Jesus, then this would be one of those people. Let's not get to that worship thing yet. You've got way too much pain that needs to be dealt with. Way too much stuff. But when she turned the course of the conversation to worship, Jesus was right there with her. He said, okay, lady, you want to talk about worship? We're going to talk about worship because you wanted to know about a well of living water. And I'm going to show you how you can find it. Jesus can make a true worshiper out of anyone. And notice that phrase, true worshiper, because that is who God is looking for. He is looking for true worshipers. What does that mean? Does that just mean we sing out loud and we we make a show of everything? No, that's not what it means to be a true worshiper. The word actually literally means to be a truthful worshiper. 
God is looking for a truthful worshipper who will worship him in spirit and truthfulness. That's what it means. You can say that it means that you need to understand the truth of who Jesus is. That's right. You need to understand the truth of who the scriptures is. That's also right, except this woman didn't know either of those things at this point. All she knew was that she was standing in front of this man who she realizes has some sort of gift from God because he's seen straight through her and he's exposed her life story right in front of her, right where she is. And not only does he have a gift of God to see, but he also has a gift of God in the way that he talks because she's just been engaged, she's just been drawn in and he's offering her another gift, this gift of the water of life. And so she's saying, do I worship on this mountain or do we worship in the temple? Where is the right place to worship? And Jesus says, neither. You don't have to go down to the temple to worship. You don't have to go up the mountain to worship. You don't have to go anywhere, any special place to worship. Neither, he said. A time is coming and now is when the truthful worshippers, the, the worshippers that are really doing this truthfully, not putting on a show, not putting on their garb and going off to Sunday best and they do what they need to do to make it look like they're worshipping. No, truthful worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truthfulness. There is a place where we need to worship. It's not the mountain. It's not the temple. But it's where the Father is. And where the Father is, is in spirit and in truth. She has just been absolutely laid bare. She has a choice. Is she going to run? Is she going to take off? She tries to distract the conversation. Jesus just brings it right back round. He says to a lady, you want to know where to worship? You want to think you have to go somewhere else to worship? You are standing where you need to worship. Because I have just laid you bare. The eyes of blazing fire have just seen right through you. That's where you worship. Where you are known. Who you really are. Authentic. Real. Honest. Transparent open you can close the door up and run away and you will miss your opportunity but I have just shown you where to worship he said you need to worship in spirit and in truth the previous chapter Jesus has been talking to a very different type of person Nicodemus was a Jewish ruler he'd gone through all the stages of getting it right all his life he probably only had one wife If he was married at all, he'd have stayed faithful to her all his life because that's what the Jewish law required of him. And he kept every part of Jewish law to the point where he is now a very respected person in the Jewish community. She's come out during the day at noonday to avoid the people. He's come out during the nighttime to avoid the people. He doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus either. And he asked Jesus, what do I need to do to experience the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said to him, you need to go right back to the beginning and start again. 
you can imagine, you know, if someone tells you that, that you've had five husbands and, and whatever and exposes you, you'd be embarrassed. You'd be, uh, you could be, get offended. Well, Nicodemus could also get offended. I've done everything God told me to all my life. And you're telling me I have to go back to the beginning and start again. And Jesus said to him, yeah, you know, you, you need to be born again. Not like going back into your mother's womb, but born from heaven. You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. We're all made in the image of God. We are spiritual beings before we're anything else. You might not know God this morning and you might not know that about yourself. But until you figure that out, you will always be frustrated. Because until we recognize that we are spiritual beings and we need to come alive spiritually in order to find our place in God's purpose, we will always be frustrated. It will always feel like we are being sold something short. We're missing something. You are missing something. We need to be spiritually alive. And that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You need to be spiritually alive. And that comes down to you from heaven. And it comes to you through believing in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have this well of eternal life in them. And then in a little bit of a foretaste of what's going to come with the woman at the well. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that through him they might find life. If this woman wants to be a worshipper, she has to stay where she is. Just stay there. In truth. And then receive the living water that Jesus has for her. That will make her spirit alive. And worship the father right there. Right by that well, right in the noonday, in spirit and in truth. I wonder where you're at this morning. You know, this is why it's important that we do confession when we come together. We confess our sins, we confess stuff that's been a burden to us. Why? Because the Father lives in truthfulness, that's why. And if we want to worship Him, we need to worship Him in truthfulness. We pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit every day, over and over again. Why? Because the Father is in spirit. And if we want to worship him, we need to be in spirit and in truth. Jesus can make a worshiper out of anyone. Secondly, true worship is a response to unconditional love. How do we know that this woman is becoming a worshiper? From the text. You have to look into what she says, but it is there. You see a hint of it. Because in one sentence, she's gone from seeing Jesus as a stranger to now addressing him as something else. She addresses him with the word, sir. That word in the Greek is kyrios. Sir is the lowest form of what it can mean. It's translated as elsewhere in the New Testament as Lord. Master, God. It means supreme, omnipotent, the one above all others, the one with all power above all others. She got to the place of calling Jesus that name in one sentence. Why? How is it that you, a Jew, are talking to a Samaritan? That's where she started off. The walls were up. The fear was up. The distance was up. 
And in one sentence, it's, Sir, can you give me of that water? What's changed? Well, the only thing that's changed is that Jesus has spoken to her. And however he spoke to her and whatever he said, the effect of it was transforming in this woman's life. Because what she heard and what she met for the first time in her life was unconditional love. She got it in a sentence. Firstly, he spoke to her. Then he spoke to her in a way that didn't push her away. He actually asked her to help him. He offered himself up to her. Can I have a drink of water? And then when she said the piece about, you know, the Jew and the Samaritan, the distance we should have, he says, no, if you just knew who you were talking to, if you just knew, you would ask him. And you know what he would do if you ask him? He would say, you're a Samaritan and you can't have this. Or he would say, you've had five husbands. The man you're living with now, you're living with someone already. You're outside of wedlock and you're you're sleeping with the guy. Like, get yourself sorted out, then come back. Then we can talk about giving you something. That's what religion does to people. But that's not what Jesus does to people. If you knew he was standing here in front of you and you asked him, you know what he would do for you? He would give you living water. No change. No even chance of repentance. No real understanding of who he is. Didn't matter to Jesus. Just ask. And I will give you. She'd never met anybody like this. You've never met anybody like it unless you've met Jesus. Because unless you have met unconditional love, you do not know what you are missing. Jesus loves this woman so passionately and she feels it. Jesus loves everybody the same way. Before you were even born, God chose you. And called you by his marvelous grace. And his grace is towards you every day because he loves you. And that loving kindness to you cannot be quenched. That loving kindness towards you cannot be stopped. It doesn't matter if you sinned this morning before you came to church. He still loves you. It doesn't matter if you've run away from God and thrown everything back in his face. He still loves you. It doesn't matter if you do that every day of your life for the whole of your life. He still loves you. He cannot stop loving you. His love for you is passionate. It's enduring. It never stops. It goes from eternity to eternity. There is no time limit on it. There is no stop in it. His water of love will never stop flowing for you. And after a lifetime of rebellion... You can be hanging across on a cross next to him. Worth the execution that you are facing. And you can cry out to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your glory? And he will say to me, you just asked. That's all you had to do. Today you will be with me in paradise. That is the love of God. Today... He loves the prostitute down in the streets in Winnipeg who's turning her tricks 
every bit as much as the preacher who's sitting here on your stage preaching to you this morning. Isn't that the truth? It's the truth. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, that is a life-changing revelation. And when that love hits your heart, if you'll allow it, if you don't run and take off, it will do something to you. It will make a worshiper out of you. You won't help yourself. It won't be because you have to. It won't be because someone gave you a great list and said, this is all the things you now have to do in order to be a worshiper. You just want to. Because I've never been loved like this before. I don't know what it is to feel love. And I've looked for this all my life. And I found somebody who loves me and will never turn that love away from me. He'll love me whatever I do, whatever I go through. And yeah, I make mistakes and his love will discipline me and everything. But it's still his love. Lord, I, I, what, what do you want me to do? Back to you. Just love me, Pete. Let everything flow out of that. Just love me. The first and greatest call in our lives is to receive love and to give love. Jesus can make a worshiper out of anybody. True worship is a response to unconditional love. And finally, worship is the well that always satisfies. Give me this water to drink. Okay, go call your husband. No, no, I ask for water. That's English, water. I have trouble getting water at fast food restaurants in the drive-thru. Water, what? Water, please, can I have some water? What? She asks for water. And Jesus wants to talk about her husband but he's leading her to a well come to the place of truthfulness come to the place of honesty and openness you come stand in that place you will discover there's a well for you there that will never run dry just be authentic just be who you are you will discover there's a well for you there that will never run dry. Why is worship a well that never runs dry and satisfies us always? Well, here's two things that worship does, did for this woman here that will do, worship does for us too. The first is this, worship releases our hurt. This woman had a boatload of it before she met Jesus. One conversation later, her heart is so free, she's running off down to the town to tell everybody. I know we need help with things. I know sometimes we need therapy and and I needed it for various things in my life. But you know what? Sometimes we just need to meet Jesus. A lifetime of hurt is gone in a moment because Jesus is a healer. 
He's a well that always satisfies. And when we worship, what happens is this. If we're worshiping truthfully, it's because God has poured his love into our hearts. We receive that love. We're overwhelmed with that love. And we climb into the river of that love because we want to give it back to God. And now we're in a flow of love and a flow of life. And that flow is a healing flow. Wherever the river flows, there is healing. I was... On the top of a hill, I was 29 years old. I had been giving myself teaching morning till night, pursuing a career, um, and nighttime working away in churches, planting churches and whatever. I was exhausted. But I got myself into a, into a difficult situation because I was working uh, for someone who, whatever reason, turned against me. don't know if you've been in a situation like this. So um, he had made all sorts of false accusations about me. He told those accusations to the board who believed him because he was the leader. And some of the board members were my friends. Um, I had gone to the board to try and explain myself. They didn't want to listen. And I felt utterly trapped. I knew I couldn't go and tell anybody else because that was slander and gossip. I'd been to the authorities. I didn't know where to go. I felt devastated. I don't know if you've ever been in that sort of a situation. Somebody's just absolutely accusing you and accusing you to all your friends and whatever, and there's nothing you can do. I went to the top of this mountain, and I felt so burdened. My mum had seen me the day before. She was worried for me. She thought I was going to take my life. She'd never seen me looking like that. I wasn't going to, but I was desperate. I got to the top of a hill with a boatload of hurt, and a song started to rise up in my heart. Out of the Psalms, a good old Pentecostal song. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. With his hand, with his hand, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. By the time I was finished, I was dancing all around that can. I was shouting at the top of my voice. I could care less who was listening. Tears were streaming down my face and I was free. I never went back into where I was before. And incidentally, God sorted the whole thing out. He sent me to Canada. (laughs) Three months into being in Canada, I had to leave my job and everything. Three months into being here in Canada, I got a letter from the same board of governors saying, we're really sorry for what happened to you. We now realize the truth. And uh, we want to say we love you, we bless you and what God's called you to do. And here's the check for the salary that you should have had if you'd been at your place of work before you were left. Because though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down. For the Lord upholds him. God sees about him. Worship releases hurt. Do you know what else worship does? Worship releases your call. This woman, something happened to her and suddenly she was a different woman. And yet, the same woman. See, she had, she had something about her. You don't attract five husbands 
and then be living with another husband. Like she had some sort of power that she used to attract people to herself. Something worked for her in that regard. It didn't work to keep them, but it worked to get them. And you and I might think, okay, we want to get rid of that because that's sinful and it leads her in a wrong way. Jesus didn't. Jesus saw it as a twisted gift. This woman was an evangelist, not an adulteress. This woman is someone who, if she gets loosed in the spirit of God, she's going to use that same gift, now turned the right way up and filled with the Holy Spirit, to draw people not to herself for her own sensuous desires or whatever one, but turn those same people to Jesus. Because that was the new love of her life. And that's exactly what she did. She ran off into the town. Come, come see this man who told me everything that I ever did. Everybody in the market's going like, he told you everything you ever did? Like he knows it? Could this man not be the Christ? She brought the whole town out. She, she came out at noon because she didn't want to be with the town. What happened? Worship released her call. If you want to know where to go in terms of worship, in terms of call, what does God have for me? I want to encourage you. Worship. Worship. However you want to do it. You can worship in thousands of different ways. When I sat down to write this sermon, I started to find myself writing some lines. So I just put them down. Just read them to you this morning. We can worship in song. We can worship in praise. We can worship in works and in thousands of ways. We can lift up our hearts to the one we adore who has loved us and loved us. And loved us before we were ever conceived or had breath in our lungs. Before thoughts in our minds. Before words on our tongues. Before any desire to give love back to you, you have loved us and called us to spirit and truth, to the land where the children look full in the face of the one who has suffered and died in our place and humbly and joyfully lay ourselves down and fall on our knees and cast down our crowns at the feet of our Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, of our wonderful Jesus. Our lion, our lamb. What we're going to do now, yeah, give the Lord a clap. If you want to give the Lord a clap, you can do that. I'm going to call Mary up in the worship team now. We're going to come back into an extended time of worship. We wanted to do it at the end because we wanted to do it undistracted. This is part of who we are at, work, at Gateway. We love to worship. Sometimes our worship times are a little shorter. And so when we get an opportunity to take them a little longer, that's what we're going to do. If you've got children up to kindergarten, they are staying in children's church. So you don't have to worry about them. Uh, You can go and collect them at the end uh, of the worship time if you want to do that. The fusion uh, young people are going to come back in. They've also been talking about worship in their area, as have the children um, with Fiona and so the fusion kids are going to come back in the grade twos and ups from the children's church are also going to come back in and when they come back in if you are a parent of a grade one child I want to encourage you to go and get your child we can't release the child without you being there so if you're a grade one uh, parent go and pick your child up bring them back and just involve them in the worship don't know if you know what this is this is a shofar made out of uh, horns uh, in the ancient days And one of the things they were used for was to call people to worship. To call people to worship. You ready to worship? 
I'm going to blow this thing by the grace of God if it works properly. I'm going to call the worship out of you today. Streams of mercy. 
jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. All of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions.
stay in the place of worship you just do that Uh, we're going to close and you're dismissed to go if you love to worship and just be lost in the presence of God we're going to start doing something a little different every Thursday night of our prayer summits we're going to run our prayer summits as normal 7 to 8 30 bring the family along that's our time of corporate prayer together the next one is on the 23rd of February on a Thursday night but after the prayer summit going to clear everything away and from nine o'clock till 12 we're going to start something called fire in the night and we're just going to give ourselves to worship and to praise to seeking the lord no agenda just following wherever the lord leads us wherever he takes us we want to flow with him so you come come and worship together if you need to go right now you go if you want to stay and continue to worship you do that with us as well god bless you have a wonderful week and if you want to sign up for a 40-day group you're not a part of one yet please go to the back there someone will help you with that right now as well thank you lord you
Wonderful name it is, the name of 
Be on my 